we are going over to uh, to Den now. Den is going to uh, continue our printing series in Revelation. And I just love how Den is just so passionate about Jesus and about the future hope we have in him. Uh, let's receive him with an open heart and see what the Holy Spirit is saying to us through his message today. Well, hello and welcome. And uh, we're continuing our series on the book of Revelation, uh, which has been a, a great joy to be able to walk through over the last uh, last few weeks. And uh, let me start by asking you a question. I wonder if you've ever seen something that looked so attractive on the outside, but that turned out to be so disappointing and so rotten. It might have been an apple or a banana that you looked at and you think, that looks so lovely. And you bite into it and you realise there's just rottenness. It's horrible. It's disgusting. And the passage that we're going to look at today in Revelation kind of does that. That's kind of what Revelation does. We're going to be in chapter 17 and 18 today, but we're going to look at a passage in Revelation which takes something that on the surface of it looks quite impressive and even looks quite normal and shows us that underneath the surface there's rottenness going on. And we're going to be in Revelation 17 and 18 today. Uh, We're not going to read the whole passage, but I'd encourage you to listen to the whole reading on the YouTube channel. But we're going to read uh, chapter 17 verses one to seven in a second. And we're gonna be talking today about Babylon being broken. And you'll understand why that is in a minute. Uh, But before we read, just a a quick kind of heads up warning, particularly for parents, this is pretty full on language in this passage. So you you might just wanna help your children to understand it a little bit more, to help them to apply it. But just a bit of a heads up on that front. This is a a very full on passage that we're gonna be looking at. So Revelation 17, I'm gonna read verses one to seven. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. What a vision, what a a revolting sight. You've got a, a prostitute sat on a scarlet beast and she's drunk. And the thing she's drunk on is the blood of Christians. I mean, it's meant to make us feel sick when we read this. It's meant to make us feel revolted. And The reason for that is because what this image is trying to do is take something that on the face of it looks quite normal and help us to realise that under the surface there's something very powerful and very dark that's going on. And in fact, in verse 18 in this chapter, chapter 17, verse 18, we're told the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So this woman represents a city. It's quite a normal thing. It could be quite an impressive thing. But John is seeing this vision and the image that's being used is a prostitute who is drunk, who sat on a monster, basically, and who is drunk on the blood of Christians. And so what's going on here is a little bit like um, you may have been to the dentist before and they told you you need to brush your teeth a little bit more carefully. And they give you a product that when you swill it around your mouth after you've brushed your teeth, 
it kind of shows you the areas that you've missed. So you think, oh, I've done a great job of brushing my teeth. You swill it around your mouth and you spit it out and you see so many parts of your teeth that are red and it's showing you there's dirt, there's uh, rottenness on those teeth that you hadn't even realized was there. And that's what this vision is doing. It's showing us something, telling us there's something quite normal, a city. But actually, I'm gonna show you that underneath the surface, you can't necessarily see it with the naked eye. There is rottenness and darkness going on. And this would probably originally have been a reference to Imperial Rome, the city of Rome, the city where the emperors reigned, the Caesars reigned. And that would have been a very impressive city. But it's also a city that happened to worship lots and lots of false gods. And also it's a city that a number of times tried to destroy and wipe out Christians. And, the reason, and, and so this city is being described as a prostitute called Babylon, who is drunk on the blood of Christians. And the reason she's called Babylon is in the Old Testament, Babylon was the city that was the ult, kind of the arch enemy, the ultimate enemy of God's people. And so here the city of Rome, Imperial Rome, is being represented as a drunk prostitute sitting on a monster trying to kill Christians. It's disturbing. But what it's doing is it's showing us, us that beneath something that looks quite normal and even impressive, there's a dark reality going on. And even though Rome, or at least Imperial Rome, doesn't exist anymore, it, it, it has fallen, it got destroyed centuries ago. I mean, obviously modern day Rome is there, but it's a different kind of city altogether. But even though Rome has fallen, the spiritual reality that's going on, the satanic reality that is going on behind this picture, is still present to a certain extent in the whole of the world. And I think to a certain extent behind every single nation and culture and government, whereas that's, where, whether that's North Korea or communist China, where you might think it is obviously present there, you can see it, you think, well, they're trying to stamp out Christians, they're trying to stamp out anyone who doesn't agree with them. But I think there are gonna be elements of Babylon and elements of satanic plans to try and do what Babylon is doing in this passage behind any culture and, all, and the whole world, whether that's the US or even Great Britain. And we need to be aware, this is a sobering passage, but we need to be aware Satan will try and work through anything that he can in this world to try and influence a culture in order for them to become Babylon-like. And what we need is what we need is revelation to help us to do the thing that that teeth product does, to help us to show us the areas of our world where we don't see it with the naked eye, but God reveals to us through the scriptures, there's darkness going on and we need to be aware of that. And so the question is, how does Satan do this? Well, you'll notice there's a lot of drinks in this passage. There's a lot of drinks and drunkenness. It's a, it's, you can almost smell the, the, the drunkenness. It's, quite, it's meant to have that kind of very uh, visceral kind of feel to it. It's, pretty, it's, it's full on. But there's a couple of drinks that we're going to look at. There's a drink that the woman is drunk on, and there's a drink that the woman gives to other people. And in verse 17, we're told the drink that the woman is drunk on. Sorry, in verse 17. In chapter 17, verse 6, it says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. That's a horrific image. She's drunk on Christian blood. But what this is telling us is something that's disturbing, but something that we need to know, which is that Satan's plan, one of his biggest aims is to try and destroy the church. We need to realize this. It's not a nice thing to hear, but we have to realize that we have an enemy and his purpose, his plan is to try and wipe out the people of God. And at times, at the time, that would have probably quite meant literally dying, literally being killed if you were a follower of Jesus and the government found out about it. And that's the case still in a number of countries where 
If you're a Christian and people find out, you may well be killed by your family, by your friends, or even the government if they find out. And to a certain extent, even in our culture, we, we're not going to be killed or even really put in prison for, this, for our faith. But some of you will have experienced what it's like to be mocked and ostracized and outcast socially because of the fact that you're following Jesus. And you need to know in that moment that there's more going on that meets the eye. Satan's at work. Satan is at work trying to stamp out the church. And some of you will be very aware of that reality of having suffered for being a follower of Jesus. And so that's, the, that's, that's one of the ways that Satan is trying to stamp out the church, is by either having Christians killed or having Christians silenced or mocked. But I think there's another and more subtle and dangerous way that Babylon, and when I say Babylon, I'm obviously referring to kind of Satan pulling the strings behind, behind the world's uh, systems and cultures. There's a, another way, I think, which is more subtle, where Babylon tries to destroy the church, and that is through seduction. That's through seducing us. Let me explain. Let's have a look now at the second drink, not the drink that Babylon is drunk on, but the drink that Babylon offers. So let's read verses one to two again in chapter 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came to me and uh, sorry, um, came and said to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. Babylon is presented as offering a drink of sexual immorality. In other words, she is seducing. She's, she's pictured as a prostitute and the power of, of a prostitute is instruction. She seduces people. And in this case, she is seducing them to commit sexual immorality. That's the drink that she offers, the wine of sexual immorality. Now, it's worth saying that this is probably not primarily talking about sex, although I think it includes it. This is probably a picture, in fact, definitely it's a picture actually of something that is bigger than sexual immorality. It's a picture of idolatry. It's a picture of Babylon offering something else to fill the place that God should fill in our lives, offering an alternative to God. You see, it's a little bit like Babylon is a drunk bartender. She's drunk on the blood of Christians and she is drunk and handing out drinks to people. Come, come, come here, drink this, take, take this drink, drink it, drink it, get drunk on this. And when you look closer, you realize the name of the drink is anything but Jesus. That's what Babylon is trying to give the world. That's what Babylon gives the world. Babylon doesn't mind whether whatever that drink is. It has lots of different flavors. She doesn't mind what it is, provided that the drink ultimately is anything but Jesus. It can be money, sex, fame, fortune, self-obsession, whatever it is, she wants to get people to have anything but Jesus. And Babylon will try as hard as she can to seduce us as followers of Jesus as well. You see, Satan knows that our life as Christians comes from intimacy with Jesus. It comes from knowing Jesus at a deep, intimate level. He knows that Satan knows that Jesus doesn't just want our obedience, and that's important, but Jesus doesn't just want our obedience, he wants our heart, he wants intimacy with us. And so Satan realizes if I'm gonna try and distract the church, if I'm gonna try and seduce the church, I need to go for their heart. You see, if Babylon, if Satan can draw our hearts away from Jesus and onto something else. She can choke our spiritual joy and she can suck spiritual life out of us. 
And we end up finding ourselves in a position where we think, I'm just, I'm not having intimacy with God anymore. I feel drained of joy. I feel like I'm drunk, that I'm not seeing reality properly. And that's one of Satan's plans is to try and do that to the church. So we need to be aware of that. And we need to ask, what is that for us? What flavor of anything but Jesus is Satan trying to offer us? What flavor is he trying to offer me? What flavor is he trying to offer you? What is it that draws our hearts away from Jesus? And if we're honest with ourselves, ultimately sucks the very joy out of our lives. Because you see, the anything but Jesus drink comes with many flavors, but it's still the same recipe ultimately to get us to take our gaze off of Jesus and onto anything else. And it doesn't even have to be a bad or a sinful thing. In fact, Babylon, Satan is very happy to use anything provided that our attention comes off of Jesus as the main focus of our lives. It could be something seemingly as innocent as a smartphone. Got this here. I've, I personally have just become just aware of the fact it's, it's not a bad thing. In many ways, technology can be a real blessing and helpful, but I've just become aware how this thing in my pocket can end up occupying my attention, just wasting my wasting my time browsing Twitter, looking at YouTube videos, not necessarily doing anything sinful or wrong, but just taking my attention from Jesus and wasting my life on trivial stuff. I'm so aware of that in my life. And I'm kind of looking at this thinking, I need to be aware of the spiritual reality potentially that's going on behind that temptation to just waste my time away. I don't want to have my eyes taken off of Jesus. It could be an obsession with what we look like. It's not necessarily bad to, to kind of try and I know, make your hair look good or or, or whatever. But there can come a point where it becomes an obsession that actually means that it's not Jesus who's got our heart captivated. It's other people's approval. And you realise that your heart is then drawn away from Jesus and you get your sense of satisfaction, your sense of comfort from something else. It could be pornography or sensuality or lust, where you think, I just don't seem to be able to break free. All I get afterwards is a feeling of guilt and a feeling of crushing. I wish I hadn't done that, but I just don't seem to be able to break free. And you're finding your joy in Jesus drained. It could be financial security. I think this is a big one in our culture. I mean, did you notice the, the sense of panic about what might happen to the economy throughout the coronavirus pandemic? And obviously the government need to make Um, I I think wise decisions or so on when it comes to how to help the economy or so on. But did you notice the sense of panic? The kind of, we need to make sure the economy doesn't fail, otherwise everything's gone. And you think, ah, there's, there's something going on there. Because very often a way of identifying things, flavors of this drink is by thinking, what are the things that make us panic if they were taken away? And this is obviously a large scale thing. Oh, what happens to the economy? But it goes down to the very day to day where the message that Babylon is trying to sell us, if only you had this, you would be happier. If only you had this new phone, you would be happier. If only you had a little bit more money in the bank, you've got enough, you can make buy, it's fine. But if you just had a bit more, that would be better. So why don't you sign up to do a few more shifts at work? Maybe that will take its toll on your family life. Not a problem because we'll be happy once we've got the money. And all the while we're finding our attention is being taken away from the thing that gives us the most joy and we're being drained of joy. We need to be aware there is a spiritual reality behind this. And so what's the solution? What's the antidote? What is the antidote to the poison that Babylon is giving us? 
And here's the good news. You see, there are two main women in Revelation when you read it. One of them is the prostitute. She's got eyes for loads of men. She's got lots and lots of different lovers. That's kind of, by definition, a prostitute has lots and lots of different people that she loves. It's not really love. But there's another woman, and we're introduced to her next week, actually, in chapter 19. The bride, the church. If you belong to Jesus, you are part of the bride. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're part of Jesus's bride. And the difference between a prostitute and a bride is a prostitute has eyes for many, many different men. A bride has eyes for her husband, her, her, her husband only. When Bex and I got married, when Bex walked down the aisle, we weren't looking at other people, we were looking at each other. Because a bride or a groom have eyes for each other on their wedding day and no one else. You see, Jesus has made us into his bride. And Babylon will offer cheap and false intimacy. It's quick, it's easy. It's intoxicating, but it's a lie. It's not true intimacy. Jesus, the true husband, offers true intimacy that our hearts long for. He offers us the very love and joy and intoxicating and true satisfaction that our hearts long for. Babylon doesn't. Babylon sucks the life out of us ultimately. It makes it look nice on the surface. It makes it look nice and glossy. She promises so much, but she delivers so little. Jesus promises infinite joy and delivers it. Jesus, Jesus laid his life down for his bride. Babylon sucks the life out of her followers. Jesus gives true life to his followers. And so the answer, the antidote, is actually not to try harder and harder, not to give in to the things that we are tempted to do that's, that the world and Satan offer us. It's the, the, the solution to this is not to think, I must try harder not to, uh, not to find my satisfaction primarily in money, or not to find my satisfaction primarily in friends or family or whatever it is. That's not the solution. The solution is, let's look at our groom. Let's look to Jesus. We need to replace the false offer of intimacy that Babylon gives and replace it with Jesus's true and lasting offer of intimacy. You see a candle when you're in a dark room seems to provide a lot of light. But as soon as you take it outside and you put it up, when the sun is out and you put it against the sun, you cannot see the candle anymore. Babylon in a dark room makes it feel like she offers joy and satisfaction. But when you take that joy and satisfaction and put it in the light of the joy and satisfaction that Jesus gives, you can't even see it anymore. Because Jesus' joy and Jesus' intimacy and satisfaction is infinitely better. It's so much more appealing. And when I find my attention is gripped with Jesus, I don't want to go anywhere else. And that's why it's so important in our lives, and I try to do this in mind, to, to make decisions that will help me to look to Jesus. That might be getting up a bit earlier, reading the Bible, listening to worship music and singing along, spending time in prayer. Why? Because God will love me more? No, but because I want to fix my eyes on Jesus. Are there maybe some very practical steps you need to take that will help you to fix your eyes on Jesus this morning? Whatever, whatever it is that helps you connect with Jesus, it's so important that we do that because when we see Jesus, everything else fades into insignificance. Everything else, as much as it might be, be good, it's not that we shouldn't enjoy the things of this earth, 
but we enjoy them as gifts from God and not as things that we base our whole life around. Because if we base our life around the good gifts that God gives us, we will ultimately have our joy taken away. Whereas if we base it around Jesus, Satan's offer of anything but Jesus has no appeal and it's seen for what it is. And if you're listening to this and you're not a follower of Jesus, you've never made that decision to follow him, can I encourage you? If you wanna find true, lasting, ultimate joy and happiness, you will not find it anywhere apart from in Jesus. He died on the cross so that you could come to know him. He rose from the dead so that you could have new life. And by trusting in him, by turning away from everything else you've based your life around and by putting your trust in him, you can know him. You can have intimacy with God. Can I encourage you, if that's you today, why don't you get in touch? I think there's gonna be a link a little bit later in the meeting that you can fill in your contact details. We'd love to get in touch with you. Jesus offers ultimate joy. But there's even more good news and we'll finish with this. There's a final drink in this passage, and that is the drink of justice. Because you see, Jesus is not just going to provide joy in this life that overshadows Babylon. Jesus is going to destroy Babylon one day. Babylon and Satan and the spiritual, dark spiritual powers that are trying to stamp out the people of God and deceive and seduce the world will not be there for the whole of eternity. They won't be there. And actually, when you read chapter 17 and 18, you realize that most of these chapters are not actually given over to describing the seduction of Babylon. They're given over to describing the destruction of Babylon. The whole of chapter 18, in fact, is a song celebrating in some, in some way the fact that God is going to bring judgment on the evil powers that are trying to wipe his people out. And listen to how heaven reacts to this in chapter 19 verses 1 to 5. And by the way, when I say listen to how heaven reacts, we are included in this because we're included in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is how heaven reacts when they hear of the fact that God destroy will destroy Babylon. Chapter 19 verses 1 to 5. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitutes who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his serpent, servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on his throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Now initially you might feel uncomfortable hearing that. It makes it almost sound like heaven is gloating over the destruction of people. But that's not really what they're rejoicing about. They are rejoicing about the fact that a day is coming when every satanically inspired evil plan will be destroyed. A day is coming when every believer who's been killed for the sake of the gospel and every believer who's been ridiculed and rejected for the sake of the gospel will be given justice. A day is coming when nothing, nothing will compete for our love and attention anymore but Jesus. I'm so looking forward to that day. I'm increasingly becoming excited, not just about the idea of living in a brand new world where like death is gone and there's no sickness, but the fact that I will not be tempted to do anything other than look to Jesus and love him. All these things in my life that I see, these weaknesses, these areas of sin that I've struggled with and trying to put to death, that won't be a struggle anymore because Jesus will have destroyed every evil power. A day is coming 
where Satan will no longer deceive the nations and draw hearts away from Jesus. A day is coming where perfect justice and all wrongs perfect justice will be done and all wrongs will be righted and that is worth heaven singing about it's worth us singing about and so can i encourage you as we draw draw to a close and as we respond now by worshiping jesus fix your eyes on jesus fix your gaze on jesus and as you do that the seduction of looking to other things but Jesus will fade away and you'll find yourself captivated by his beauty, captivated by how awesome he is. So can I encourage you, let's look to Jesus together. Wow, that was so powerful then. Thank you so, so much. Yes, Jesus, we celebrate this. Lord, we celebrate in the living hope, Jesus, that you have won the victory, that we can live for eternity in heaven with you, Father, where there'll be no more distractions. We love that. Father, and we, we pray, I pray, Lord, for us, will you empower us this week to live victorious lives? Father, knowing that whatever Satan throws away, we have the victory and we can claim that victory over sin in our lives. We do not have to. We are no longer under sin. We're no longer under the law. We're, we're under grace. Father, we can claim that victory, Father, over unpure thoughts that we have. We can claim the victory over worries in our minds and anxiety that go on in our mind and we feel like we're stuck. We can claim the victory over lies that Satan throws away because we know that you have won that victory on the cross. So in the name of Jesus, we proclaim today that we will go out from this living victorious life, no lives, knowing Jesus, that you have won the victory over Babylon, that you are the one that we're looking to, Jesus, that we can destroy the lies and the temptations and whatever Satan throws away. We are strong and we are victorious in this life because of what you've done, Jesus. And we proclaim this over us as a church, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. Strong, strong, strong uh, meeting this morning. I think just Jesus calling us, drawing us in more hunger for him. And then the encouragement that we can live victorious life through what Jesus has done on the cross. Let's do this, friends. Don't know about you, but how often do I just give in to feeling anxious or worried or oh, I have to give in to this, that and the other? We do not have to. We can live joy filled lives full of God's grace for us. Let's do this this week. Let's remind ourselves, hang on, we are no longer under law. We're no longer under condemnation. We have got the freedom in him. I'll see you all next week. See you later, guys. Thank you for joining.